Excerpt from Russ Daniels' 1995 book, DC Comics, 60 Years of the World's Favorite Comic Book Heroes. Oddballs, superheroes with a difference. With the Silver Age solidly established, DC began to look for new ideas, and the results were sometimes strange. Something was in the air in the early 1960s that inspired a new breed of superheroes, a series of eccentrics who anticipated the spirit of nonconformism that would flower later in the decade. The writer most responsible for these oddball characters was Bob Haney. Said Bob Haney, Sometimes the only way you could get work was to start a whole new book with an editor. With that idea in mind, Haney and writing partner Arnold Drake submitted the Doom Patrol to editor Murray Boltonoff. The concept involved three people turned into embittered freaks by grotesque accidents, then transformed into superheroes by a mysterious, wheelchair-bound scientist known as the Chief. They were the world's strangest and perhaps greatest heroes. Doom Patrol. There were some who found these freakish outsiders unpredictable and dangerous. But Negative Man, Elastigirl, and Robot Man were passionately embraced by the younger generation. Teenagers who saw these brooding outcasts as symbols of their own loneliness and alienation. Said Haney, I thought that was something pretty decent. We did the second issue and I dropped out. He went on to other projects. For instance, The Brave and the Bold number 57, covered in January 1965, introduced Metamorpho the Element Man. Metamorpho, 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 Metamorpho. This is the story of the Element Man. Metamorpho, Metamorpho, starts out in old Egypt land. Metamorpho, Metamorpho. Tough adventurer Rex Mason was transformed into the grotesque Metamorpho after exposure to a meteorite hidden in an ancient pyramid. Strong as iron, holy as sin. Metamorpho, Metamorpho. He'll change into copper, cobalt, or tin. Metamorpho, Metamorpho. Rearrange his molecules just like that. Become anything he'd like at the drop of a hat. Be a hero, a king, yet he'd chuck it all if he could be the one thing he just can't be playing Rex Mason and then for editor Boltonoff's House of Secrets number 61 covered dated August 1963 Haney and veteran artist Lee Elias introduced another oddball hero Eclipso billed as the genius who fought himself the character was a scientist under a curse that brought his dark side to the surface during each eclipse I didn't do my best work on it admits Haney and the series never quite caught on perhaps because the bad guy had all the good moves years later however Eclipso returned as one of DC's most powerful villains Everyone has a dark side! Excerpt from the late Donald D. Markstein's website, Tunopedia. Comic books have always been rife with series about heroes, but relatively few made stars of villains, and fewer still have succeeded on that basis for any great length of time. In the 1940s, The Claw, the original cover feature of Silver Street Comics, is of interest mainly as the guy who brought Daredevil to prominence. And in the 60s, The Phantom Blot, a title devoted to one of Mickey Mouse's recurring villains, is notable mainly for having introduced Supergoof. But DC Comics' Eclipso series didn't have a resident hero, unless you count his alter ego. It ran for more than three years, becoming one of comics' most successful villain series, and the character went on to become a fixture of the DC Universe. You will never defeat the darkness within your own heart. 
excerpt from 1985's Amazing Heroes number 76, On the Dark Side, an Eclipso History by Michael J. O'Connell. Chances are that you probably buy a comic book because of the hero. Little thing about the story's villain. Yet you have to admit that sometimes there's an attraction to the bad guy. Though evil, he's something of an underdog. No matter how powerful he is, he'll eventually be caught, or at least fought to a standstill. In that sense, he's a sympathetic character. If you combine this quality with an appealing personality and power, a villain may even become more intriguing than your average do-gooder. But some villains have been explored more deeply. At DC Comics, for example, the Joker, Cobra, and the Secret Society of Supervillains all had short-lived books during the 1970s. In fact, as early as 1963, DC had experimented with a series headlined by a villain, namely Eclipso. Years ago, he was the new star of the House of Secrets. The cover of issue number 61 touted the exploits of Mark Merlin, the House of Secrets' lead feature. But in the corner, a tiny box containing a strange, divided face proclaimed, Introducing Fantastic Eclipso, Hero and Villain in One Man. Inside, the story begins with the dedication of Solar City, a futuristic solar-powered metropolis. A crowd listens to Professor Bennett as they await the arrival of the city's designer, Dr. Bruce Gordon. The vast, unknown powers of the sun and moon combined with a freakish fate to divide Dr. Bruce Gordon, brilliant young scientist, one dedicated to humanity, the other to ruthless destruction. Introducing the amazing man who is both hero and villain, Eclipso, the genius who fought himself. I've triumphed over Dr. Bruce Gordon and destroyed his creation, Solar City. Only we two know your shocking secret, Bruce, that Eclipso, your enemy, and you, Dr. Bruce Gordon, are one and the same. It is a happy day as officials and a cheerful throng listen to Professor Simon Bennett at the dedication of the world's first community to be run on the sun's limitless energy. Shortly, Dr. Bruce Gordon, who helped to develop this project, will join me in pulling the switch that will turn the reflectors toward the sun, and Solar City will be a dream come true. Nearby, at that moment. Oh, Bruce, darling, what a wonderful day. The opening of Solar City and Dad announcing our engagement. I'm so happy I can light up this whole town without the sun's help. If I don't finish these last minute adjustments, Mona honey, Solar City will never get dedicated. See you shortly. Once Mona leaves, the young scientist begins making the final adjustments on the machinery that will run Solar City. Gordon stops to examine a mysterious black diamond. This black diamond has resisted all my attempts to analyze its prismatic properties. Well, no matter now, I've got to finish here to join the professor. Thousands of miles away, meanwhile... Above the trackless wastes of the South Pacific, one of the universe's most momentous events begins. A total eclipse of the sun. And at that moment, in the isolated laboratory back in Solar City... Suddenly feel odd. Wouldn't it be ironic? Getting ill on the biggest day of my life? Then, as shuddering waves rack him, fantastic change begins to sweep over his features, his very brain. What's happening to me? I'm being transformed into someone greater, stronger than that full Bruce Gordon. A blue shadow divides the young scientist's face, and his personality becomes an evil mockery of his benevolent nature. Listen to Eclipso, world. I am here to declare war on the forces of good. With demoniac directness, the transformed scientist moves to a locker. This strange character runs to a locker and dons a black and purple costume he just happens to find there. Moments later, having donned the weird costume, the fantastic figure grasps the black diamond. My enemy, Bruce Gordon. Fail to find the power of this dark jewel, but Eclipso won't fail. Surely, as all awaited Bruce's appearance, the crowd is startled when Eclipso leaps onto the stage and holding the black diamond to his eclipsed eye, projects a blinding beam of black light. What are you doing here? I'll stop him, whatever he is. <laughs> Can't see. I'm trapped in a beam of black light. As the people on the platform stumble in sudden darkness. Yes, it's time to dedicate Solar City, but not the way Bruce Gordon expected. 
Instantly, chemically polished reflectors swing hungrily toward the sun. Aluminum collectors absorb its vast energy, and Solar City's complex begins to hum. Dad, he set everything in motion. There he goes. Find Bruce, Mona. We'll catch him. As Professor Bennett and the police leap onto the moving streets. He's ignoring us. But aiming that black light at the Plastodome. What's he up to? The next moment. The dome's cracking from temperature extremes caused by half of it being saturated with solar energy and half by the cold shadow. Meanwhile, Bruce disappeared. Where could he have gone? In a few more moments, Bruce Gordon's prize project will be so much debris. Powerful light-reflecting devices casting intense beams of thermal energy swing when tilt wildly at their targets. Solar City's destroyed, and it's being melted like wax. <laughs> Within minutes, Solar City is an inferno of destruction. Just when it seems that Eclipso will succeed in turning the city into charred rubble, a stray blast of light staggers him. Witness to this, Professor Bennett follows the weakened villain to the lab and watches Eclipso changes back into Gordon. Bennett quickly relates the tragedy to the young scientist, describing the desolation caused by Eclipso. Slowly, Gordon pieces together an explanation. Some months before, he had visited Diablo Island, hoping to photograph a solar eclipse. Mofir, a native seer, tried to prevent him. As the moon's shadow crossed the sun, the two struggled at the edge of a cliff. Before falling to his death, Mofir managed to cut Gordon with the black diamond. Apparently, some strange property of the diamond, the cut he received during the solar eclipse, and the occurrence of another eclipse, somehow combined to trigger the transformation. Bennett notes that bright light must be Eclipso's weakness, since a stray flash brought on a reverse transformation. Mona, overjoyed that Gordon wasn't injured by Eclipso, enters the lab. Using the excuse that he must first rebuild Solar City, Gordon breaks off their engagement. In reality, he feels that he can't commit to her until he's free of his evil alter ego. What is it, Burns? I think it's my kid's college tuition fund, Sarge. World Enders! Touch not the Black Heart! No fear preserves the world. Excerpt from the 1985 edition of the comic book Heroes, from the Silver Age to the Present, the first issue of modern comic books by Will Jacobs and Gerard Jones. Eclipso is like a Mr. Hyde to scientist Bruce Gordon's Dr. Jekyll. Gradually, as the series unfolds, it emerges that with every eclipse, this creature, calling himself Eclipso, will either continue to take over Gordon's body or split with him as a separate evil entity. After many experiments, Gordon discovers that only intense light can banish his evil side. Eclipso soon learns that Gordon will probably be able to keep defeating him, but he also knows that future eclipses will free him again, so he takes a steel and hunting weapons that he can use in future incarnations to defeat his alter ego and continue his criminal rampages. His greatest weapon is the Black Diamond itself, which possesses amazing abilities of transmutation. In keeping with the new breed of shift hero, Eclipso's peculiar nature made his adventures different from any other in comic. This was a series in which the only specially powered character was a villain, and in which the hero, rather than fighting some new ministry issue, was concerned only with his own alter ego. The stories were made strong by a mysterious flavor of intrigue and espionage as Gordon and Eclipso matched with. Eclipso's schemes were often on a vast scale, bringing government forces and secret service men into play. They were not confined to one area, which caused the stories to move from one exotic locale to another. Aided in his battle with Eclipso by a fellow scientist and his daughter, who was also Gordon's fiancée, Gordon formed the center of a strong and likable cast of characters. Hey, how many mammals would this kill? Buddy, I need you to put that back, okay? What are you doing? How many? Depends. 
That thing holds seven rounds. Not enough. What's our deadliest weapon? What's with the stinking quiz? A nuke, okay? Numbers. Give me numbers. I don't know. Thousands. Maybe millions. It's a start. Excerpt from Amazing Heroes number 76 by Michael J. O'Connell. Just before the next solar eclipse, Bennett locks Gordon in a light, tight wind tunnel, hoping this will prevent the transformation. It doesn't, and Bennett is tricked into releasing Eclipso. Gordon realizes that his evil double possesses the same intellect as he. In order to defeat him, he has to outwit him every time he appears. Gordon doesn't have long to wait, for Eclipso returns in issue number 62. This time, Gordon and Bennett take a diving craft deep below the ocean, figuring this will diffuse the Eclipse's effects. Unfortunately, their plan fails. Eclipso takes over Gordon's body and brings the diving craft to the surface. In the process, he displays a new power. When he holds the black diamond over his uneclipsed eye, he fires a power blast. Landing the craft, Eclipso escapes across the beach. Bennett chases the villain over the dunes, loses him, but finds Gordon lying unconscious. A down power line seemed to have crackled enough light to cause the change. Gordon and Bennett complete work on a space capsule for the army. The two plan to test it on their own and soon launch themselves into orbit. Bennett discovers that Eclipso has been masquerading as Gordon since the day on the beach. Eclipso plans to steer the capsule into the cone of darkness projected by the Earth. This will forever trap Gordon in his body. The light from the blazing tail of a comet shines on Eclipso, changing him back into the young scientist. Gordon maneuvers the capsule away from the cone of darkness at the last moment. These first two stories were written by Bob Haney, who would chronicle all of Eclipso's appearances through the 1960s. Lee Elias provided the art. Elias's art was typical of DC's mystery magazines of the time. Nothing radical, nothing out of the ordinary, just pleasant. People looked normal. Except for the blue shadow across his face, Eclipso even had the same features as Gordon. Although the art was nice, it lacked the bizarreness that the series seemed to need. Alex Toth premiered as artist in number 63. Without a doubt, Toth visually redefined the series. His use of heavy shadows and odd perspectives made the stories take on an aura of eerie excitement. His characters had unique faces. Bennett became a stodgy old professor. Mona was the perfect, beautiful girlfriend to Gordon's troubled young scientist. But Toth's greatest contribution to the series was his presentation of Eclipso. Whereas Elias's Eclipso looked like someone with a mild skin disorder, Toth's Eclipso was the embodiment of pure evil. This villain had fangs, pointed ears, and the look of a maniac. You could believe this fellow was bad. When the transformation took place, Toth drew it so well you could feel pain as Gordon's flesh contorted into Eclipso's hideous form. Haney finally brings Gordon and Eclipso face to face in issue number 65. Judson Randall, an old colleague of Gordon's, offers to cure him forever of his evil double. Reluctantly, Gordon agrees to the fantastic offer. Randall splits Eclipso from Gordon but ends up using the villain to steal an atomic missile. Gordon escapes from Randall's clutches and battles Eclipso for the warhead. In the end, both Randall and Eclipso are destroyed in the explosion of the missile's fuel tanks. During the course of the story, Mona learns that Eclipso is Gordon's alter ego. She is glad the villain is finally gone, but Gordon explains that the Eclipso destroyed by the explosion was a split freak, Mona, brought to life by Randall's cure. The very next issue, Gordon's conflict with Eclipso takes on a new angle. Gordon theorizes that during an eclipse, Beneficial ultraviolet rays are cut off. By exposing Eclipso to a heavy dose from his new ultraviolet ray gun, he hopes to change Eclipso from evil to good. After the transformation, a seemingly benevolent Eclipso gladly agrees to fight a giant space worm, which gives off eerie, repelling waves of energy. Once he kills the worm, Eclipso cunningly gains its repelling powers. Only by blocking him off from the sun's cosmic rays and then exploding a light bomb are the Bennett's able to cancel Eclipso's new power and defeat him. Undaunted by its initial failure, Gordon reworks the ultraviolet ray gun in issue number 67. After the transformation, Bennett fires a gun at Eclipso. It explodes in a burst of ultraviolet rays, which splits Gordon and Eclipso into two separate beings. Gordon pursues his alter ego to Scotland, where Eclipso has gained control of a construction robot. He is almost killed by Eclipso, but at the last moment overcomes him with the light from a flare. 
finally, Haney succeeds in physically realizing the struggle between the hero and villain. From now on, Gordon will be able to fight Eclipso directly. Although issue number 67 featured something of a triumph for Haney, it marked Toth's final story as artist. He was replaced by Jack Sparling, whose pulpy-faced Eclipso couldn't compare to Toth's evil entity. At best, Sparling's art was passable. The characters are drawn as lumps of flesh and clothing. Rarely did his Eclipso elicit the fear or excitement that Toth's did. I devour the light! I turn the world to darkness! Excerpt from the 1985 edition of the comic book Heroes, from the Silver Age to the present. Rendering the stories was Jack Sparling, the best regular artist in Shift Stable. Sparling's art was very scratchy and hasty looking, but imbued with a dynamism and an emotional current that electrified the pages. Sparling's figures, as well as his layouts in general, were constructed on a rounded line, fleshy, full-bodied people, lush, sloping background, along which the action rolled at a breakneck speed. Sometimes I just want to hurt someone. Excerpt from Michael Urie's 2017 book, Hero A Go-Go. Campy comic books, crime fighters, and culture of the swinging 60s. Let's get this out of the way from the get-go. Eclipso scared the heck out of me when I was a kid. In 1966, I had just started buying comic books at the age of eight, when the heroine, villain, and one man was winding down his original three-year blip of fame. As I scoured the racks searching for Batman funny books, I'd avert my eyes when I stumbled across those issues of House of Secrets starring Eclipso. As drawn by Jack Sparling, Eclipso was horrifying, with his pointy demon ears, blue half-moon face, and swollen-lipped evil snarl. But I scared easily back then. Betty Davis gave me nightmares. Those were her whatever happened to Baby Jane years, when her makeup was gruesomely applied like Herman Munster's. Who was Eclipso? This high-concept character, hero and villain in one man, debuted in issue number 61 of House of Secrets, one of DC Comics' eerie anthologies. His premiere only garnered a headshot inset at the bottom of the comic's cover, with Mark Berlin considered a better draw for the spotlight. But over time, Eclipso would, yes, eclipse the other stars of the book, Merlin and, later, Prince Raman, to become House of Secrets' dominant cover feature. Eclipso, a repugnant ogre in violet and black dance talks, who emits energy blasts whenever he holds the black diamond to his eclipsed eye. Imagine a supervillain starring in his own series. In 1963, naturally, with the Puritans of the Comic Code Authority enforcing the rules, Eclipso always had to be defeated. But instead of incarceration, Eclipso would be vanquished, actually he'd vanish, until the next eclipse, which conveniently would occur in the next issue. And a mere camera flashbulb could defeat him. Really. Light was his nemesis. His alter ego was Bruce Gordon, who Bob Haney admitted in an interview with Michael Catron that the title character's name was a Batman gag, borrowed from Bruce Wayne and Commissioner Gordon. After Lee Elias rather tepidly illustrated the first two Eclipso stories, the amazing Alex Toth became the Eclipso artist for five beautifully drawn installments, beginning with issue 63. He was replaced by the feature's last artist, Jack Sparling, beginning with House of Secrets number 68. Sparling, a journeyman with a scratchy art style, was surprisingly in fine form on Eclipso. His loose line work was well-suited for the unconventional appearance of the character and the peculiar creatures that populated Haney's scripts. Yet Eclipso was doomed to fail. The feature's high concept quickly ran dry. His Eclipse-triggered transformations were generally contrived. And between his vulnerability, Boo, I've got a flashlight! And his detachment from the main DC universe, Eclipso never seemed like much of a threat. And to make matters worse, Haney never cared much for the Eclipso feature. His heart just wasn't in it. As Eclipso's series was winding down in 1966, it ended with the cancellation of House of Secrets with issue number 80. The hero and villain in one man was discovered by a new readership. It started with The Brave and the Bold number 64, which presented a team-up titled Batman vs. Eclipso. The issue, which went on sale just before the January 12, 1966 premiere of ABC TV's Batman, is noteworthy for several reasons. It starred a hero and villain, a revolutionary concept at the time. It offered Bob Haney, writer of both The Brave and the Bold and Eclipso feature, a chance to bring his strange B-level, make that C-level, star a shared limelight with an A-lister. It featured Batman spanking an heiress, not the Kid Crusader's primary mode of discipline, but hey, it was the 60s. 
And finally, it added Eclipso to the roster of Batman's Rogues Gallery, albeit briefly. While the Brave and the Bold issue wasn't enough to sustain Eclipso's regular series for much longer, kids buying Batman merchandise from coloring books to frame trade puzzles would find a rather benign Eclipso battling the Masked Manhunter and his youthful ally Robin, the Boy Wonder. Many fans who are familiar with Eclipso's comic book legacy are unaware of his appearances in Batman merchandising. Some of those fans became comic professionals and, years later, began working the kinks out of the character, making Eclipso more formidable and believable. Don't hold back! Kill! Destroy! Excerpt from Amazing Heroes number 76. In issue number 70, we receive an extensive exposure to Eclipso's personality. In previous issues, he seemed to exist just to terrorize Gordon or steal government secrets. Now we finally get to see his evil mind at work as he plans to take over government. Not only that, we find out Eclipso has a sense of humor. When asked about Gordon, he replies, He's a good friend of mine. In fact, we're hardly ever separated. Eclipso gains a new set of powers in issue number 72. Visiting Lost Man's Island, Gordon hopes that the presence of the legendary Moonstone will cancel the effects of the solar eclipse. When the eclipse occurs, the split takes place and Eclipso escapes. Aided by the island's mysterious inhabitants, Gordon tracks Eclipso to the Moonstone. When the villain rises from the glowing boulder, a rainbow is emanating from the uneclipsed side of his face. He quickly learns to use the rainbow to project various beams of energy such as a yellow force field, an orange levitation beam, and a violet destruction ray. Eclipso is defeated when he tries to escape in a booby-trapped airplane. Although his rainbow powers seemed extremely potent, Eclipso would rarely use them after this. Gordon finally perfects the ultraviolet ray gun in issue number 74. This produces a good Eclipso. In the next issue, Gordon repeats the process to stop a syndicate assassin. With the ability to make Eclipso a hero, Haney seems to have licked the problem of making the villain more prominent in the series. Yet Haney must have realized that part of Eclipso's appeal was his evil nature, since the ultraviolet ray gun was never used again. Issue number 76 features Eclipso's first battle with Prince Raman, the House of Secrets' other star. At about this time, Haney scripted Eclipso's first appearance outside of House of Secrets. In The Brave and the Bold number 64, Gordon's evil counterpart battles Batman, a character still caught in the camp craze. The story opens with Batman being duped by an old girlfriend into returning the stolen cat emerald to a museum. Sadly, Commissioner Gordon arrests the Dark Knight detective when photos show that Batman had stolen the emerald. This is all an elaborate plot by Apis Enterprises. With Batman out of the way, it can ransack Gotham City. The corporate executives for the shady outfit are none other than Eclipso and the Queen Bee, who is of course Batman's old girlfriend. Batman escapes from jail and breaks up Apis's operation. The big battle between Batman and Eclipso is disappointingly short. Ironically, it is Gordon who sneaks in at the last moment and defeats Eclipso with a light grenade. Quietly, Gordon, Bennett, and Mona leave Gotham City, letting everyone wonder what happened to Eclipso. Issue number 79 features the second book-linked battle between Eclipso and Prince Raman. The only distinction issue 80 has is it contains the final appearances of both these characters. For the House of Secrets is cancelled with that issue. When the book is revived a few years later, it becomes an anthology for mystery stories. After three years of fighting Eclipso to a standstill, Gordon, Bennett, and Mona fade into oblivion. Aside from a few reprints, they don't resurface until the mid-1970s. When the Red Tornado first joins the Justice League of America, his alter ego, John Smith, needs a job. A friend finds him employment as a lab assistant. In issue number 109, the Red Tornado arrives late to an emergency meeting. The battered android is being supported by his unlucky employer, Dr. Bruce Gordon. The Red Tornado explains that he was helping with an experiment in controlling light transmissions in which Gordon was the guinea pig. As with Gordon's other experiments, the transmitter overloads and explodes. From out of the rubble, three Eclipsos rise and swiftly overcome the Red Tornado. Gordon confesses that Eclipso is his alter ego. It is alluded to that Eclipso has been gone for only a few months, instead of the lapse of over seven years in actual time. 
Gordon had advised the means of imprisoning Eclipso permanently inside of his body, except that during an eclipse, the young scientist suffered unbearable pain. The new experiment was supposed to correct this flaw, but with its failure, three Eclipsos are now on the loose. Making some quick calculations, Batman determines that the two Eclipsos are drawing their energies from the Earth, creating a stress that could destroy the planet. Following directions that Gordon vaguely remembers from the transformation, the Just League divide into three groups and round up the trio of Eclipsos. Back at the satellite, the heroes wonder what should be done with the three. When the trio suddenly combines to form a colossal Eclipso, bent on murder, he brings the Black Diamond to his eye. Instead of destroying the Justice League, it creates an intense flash of light, which sends the villain back into Gordon's body. Fortunately, Batman figured out that Eclipso might try such a stunt, and took the precaution of coating the diamond with a special chemical. Although the dramatic punch of the story concerns Hawkman's resignation from the Justice League, and not the battle with Eclipso, Gordon's inner conflict made physical was back in the limelight. It seemed only a matter of time before he would appear again. Mankind's time will be forever eclipsed! Tonight... My people will be avenged! Where do these nuts come from? Flash will handle the fire. Diana, you take Mr. Moonface. Right. What came two years later was probably the most enjoyable Eclipso adventure ever. In Metal Men number 48, Marty Pasco and Walt Simonson present a story entitled, Who is Bruce Gordon and Why is He Doing Those Terrible Things to Himself? Combining excitement, humor, and wonderful art, the story was reminiscent of the early Haney and Toth adventures in the House of Secrets. While repairing his robots, Doc Magnus is interrupted by the arrival of two friends and a crying Mona Bennett. He tells of Gordon's troubles and how he's been trying to control Eclipso ever since his bout with the Justice League. Risking a very dangerous experiment, Gordon exposes himself to high-intensity light. With his usual luck, the machine exploded, changing Gordon into Eclipso, but not splitting them. After perusing Gordon's notes, Eclipso headed off to West Germany to steal some ancient Incan parchments. Magnus and the Metal Men zoom off to West Germany to confront Eclipso, but fail in stopping him. So they race across the ocean to the Peruvian Andes, where the stolen parchments have led Eclipso to some Incan ruins. Ten, the shyest of the Metal Men, boldly challenges Eclipso. The infuriated villain attacks Ten, but not before the robot ignites a blowtorch. The light is enough to change Eclipso back to Gordon. Gordon explains that the Incan ruins point to Diablo Island, where he had first battled Mofir. He's not sure what Eclipso wanted there, so they head off to the island to investigate. Upon arriving, they enter Mofir's cave and find an ancient tablet with an eclipsed sun etched on it. As Magnus lifts it, the earth trembles. They quickly exit the cave. Afraid that their flying saucer might be damaged by falling rocks, Magnus's iron move it away from the cave. The saucer passes overhead, eclipsing the sun, and changes Gordon into Eclipso again. The villain races to a mountaintop and begins reading the tablet's inscriptions. The sea below bubbles and boils. Then a giant figure rises out of the water. It is Umbra, the ancient sun god. In issue number 49, we are treated to a fast-paced battle between the Metal Men, Eclipso, and Umbra. Also, we learn a bit about the old sun god. In the center of Umbra's forehead is a large black gem from which Eclipso's diamond was cut. The leaders of Umbra's cult on Diablo Island handed the jewel down from generation to generation, waiting for the one with the power to use it namely Eclipso. To a certain extent, Gordon's possession by Eclipso was preordained, as was the eventual resurrection of Umbra. The first thing Umbra does is to reward Eclipso with an increase of his dark power. Even so, the metal men change Eclipso back to Gordon by forming a lead glass lens which magnifies sunlight into a bright beam of light. Meanwhile, Umbra needs human sacrifices to provide him with the power of mobility. Swiftly, the Dark God fires power blasts meant to kill the human members of the Metal Men's party, including Gordon. Platinum protects all the humans, except Gordon, who is transformed into Eclipso by the resulting explosion. An angry Eclipso teams with the Metal Men to send Umbra back through his dimensional portal. Magnus closes the portal and destroys the tablet. After Gordon has regained control of his body, he wonders, Now that Umbra is locked up for good, and the tablet which can free him destroyed, maybe Eclipso has gone for good too. Gordon's optimism is short-lived though. 
I can't remember. It's all a blank, I swear. And the costume? I I just don't know. You expect us to believe that? From the April 2017 cover dated Back Issue Magazine number 95, the article Devil Inside, Bruce Gordon's Never-Ending Battle with Eclipso by Shannon E. Riley. Of the choice to include Eclipso as the main villain of this Bronze Age tale, Pasco says, As a DC editor, Jerry had a mandate both to create new titles and to revive dormant properties in their own books. The relaunches, which is what we called stuff like Metal Men because the characters were the same and hadn't been redesigned, were a response to that mandate. As I recall, Jerry took note of Eclipso in that JLA story, which I believe Lynn Ween wrote, and at one point planned to pitch management on an Eclipso title that Jerry would write himself. I think the Metalman story was intended to be a kind of dry run for him, which would let him get a feel for the character. But life had other plans. The Symbiont Syndrome is the first of a two-part Eclipso backup story appearing in Adventure Comics number 457, May-June 1978. It would also be the last in a series of Ron Jay's supporting backups to the main Superboy feature. Adventure Comics switched to the dollar comic format with issue number 459 as part of the DC explosion of the summer of 1978. The six-page Lynn Ween written tale begins with Professor Simon Bennett and daughter Mona imbuing Dr. Bruce Gordon with a concentrated dose of ultraviolet light, effectively separating Eclipso from Gordon. Now a distinct being no longer symbiotically tied to Gordon, Eclipso escaped the protagonist's hidden lab by blasting through the ceiling thanks to a rocket-powered dual assist. Though weakened by the separation, Gordon feels a sense of responsibility for unleashing Eclipso upon the world and vows to take him down, even if it means sacrificing himself to do so. I was curious about Lin Wein's affinity for Eclipso, as he'd used the villain in the aforementioned JLA tale, the two-parter for Adventure Comics, and a Green Lantern story. Ween tells back issue, I've been a fan of Eclipso since the very first story illustrated by the late great Lee Elias and followed by the indescribably talented Alex Toth. There was something about the Jekyll Hyde quality of the character that just struck a personal chord with me. When the series writer found a way to split Eclipso off from Bruce Gordon so they could actually battle face to face, I was hooked. Since there was no regular Eclipso series during most of the time I worked at DC, I appropriated him to use the villain whenever I could. God, that was fun. Three, three, the world will descend into darkness, and I will once again be free to unleash my dark wrath upon you all. On the Dark Side, an Eclipso history by Michael J. O'Connell. Three years later, Gordon pops up in Green Lantern as the designer of Ferris Aircraft's solar jet. Like many of Gordon's previous achievements, this too is plagued with technical problems. Green Lantern becomes suspicious of the elusive Dr. Gordon. In issue number 136, he breaks down the door of Gordon's apartment to find the scientist trapped to a wall, ready to bombard himself with high-intensity light. Remembering Eclipso's encounter with the Justice League, Green Lantern creates two miniature suns that reverse the transformation. The young scientist reveals that he felt that he was in enough control of Eclipso to work at Ferris. He had hoped this job would be a new beginning for him. Convinced that with Eclipso gone there is no danger, Green Lantern leaves Gordon. Later, Gordon tries to sleep, but a strange beam of light shoots out from his watch triggering a post-hypnotic suggestion. Gordon goes to Ferris Aircraft and views a videotape of a solar eclipse. This is enough to bring about the transformation. Eclipso glows that he had been subconsciously controlling Gordon while he slept, forcing him to construct a spacecraft at Ferris Aircraft. Eclipso launches his Moon of Murder and sets it in orbit around the Earth. Seeing the false moon eclipse the sun, Green Lantern races to intercept it. At the end of the story, Eclipso fires a ray that darkens one side of Green Lantern's body, much to the hero's horror. In issue number 139, Eclipso takes this one step further by splitting Green Lantern into two separate beings, one good and the other evil. Green Lantern fights his negative self to a standstill, until he wraps him in a piece of purple cloth. 
He determined that his double would have a weakness toward the color purple, the chromatic opposite of his own weakness, yellow. In the meantime, Eclipso projects a cone of energy around Los Angeles. The cone causes earthquakes and destruction that the battered Green Lantern barely overcomes. Finally, Green Lantern attacks the moon of murder directly. He cuts off Eclipso's power by projecting a solar collector between the satellite and the sun. Once inside, he finds Eclipso strapped to a large machine. The villain reveals that his real plan has been to split himself permanently from Gordon, then to kill the scientist. Green Lantern watches as the separation takes place. Quickly, he blasts the computer meant to kill Gordon and grabs the unconscious scientist. Desperately, Eclipso tries to stop Green Lantern with an energy bolt, but only succeeds in bursting a hole in the satellite. Eclipso is swept into the darkness of space, supposedly to drift forever. Yet, as history has shown, Eclipso is pretty tough to kill. When Lynn Ween and Dave Gibbons decided to bring Green Lantern back to Earth after his temporary exile, we discover that Gordon is still perfecting the solar jet for Ferris aircraft. As the jet's test date draws near, Gordon begins to receive threatening phone calls from a dark figure in a trench coat. The dark figure identifies himself in issue number 185 as Eclipso. Using his moon of madness, he steals the solar jet and abducts Gordon. He explains to the amazed scientist that the darkness of space sustained him instead of killing him. It took time, but Eclipso used his black diamond to propel himself back to the satellite. Again, Eclipso tries to sever the bond that ties him to Gordon. And again, he is thwarted by a Green Lantern, this time John Stewart. In his final struggle with Green Lantern, Eclipso is vaporized by an energy beam from the moon of murder. Pathetic humans. We shall lay waste your world. From the April 2017 cover dated Back Issue Magazine number 95, I reached out to Marv Wolfman to see if he had any anecdotes to share about these Eclipso-focused Green Lantern tales. Says Wolfman, I honestly don't remember much about those issues other than the fact that I used Eclipso, a character I had really liked, and I remember them mostly because I autograph those issues a lot and see them often. But though I remember well most of the stories I've done, there are a few that, for whatever reason, fell through the cracks. He claims not to remember anything. Do you believe him? I don't know. Eclipso had a small cameo in 1986's Swamp Thing number 46, which tied into his 1985 appearance in Christ on Infinite Earths number 9. In space, above the world called Earth-1, orbits the living metal starship of the man-machine Brainiac, within some of the most powerful beings who ever lived. Legions of supervillains who had sat out this major event when they could have been doing some good. Instead, they hid, waiting for an opportunity to strike against the heroes when they would be at their most vulnerable. Eclipso joined their offensive, and at one point managed to blast one in the back with an eye beam. Ultimately, the villains were routed. I see the hate inside you! From the April 2017 cover dated Back Issue Magazine number 95, Mike W. Barr explains the Back Issue regarding his use of Eclipso in The Outsiders number 17 through 18, cover dated March-April 1987. I found good stories could be had by using DC characters that had not been used for some time. I revived Cobra and Batman and The Outsiders with some success and decided Eclipso might be similarly used. He had not appeared for two years. I was familiar with the concept of Eclipso. He had appeared in an issue of Brave and the Bold but I had not followed the character regularly. But even before writing him, I had picked up several back issues of House of Secrets because the Eclipso stories were drawn by the great Alex Toth. When I decided to use the character, I had access to the DC Library of Bound Volumes of back issues to do my reference. Do not go gentle into that good night in The Outsiders number 17. Begins with a series of museum break-ins across North America. As a cult, identified as the people of the dark, steals various relics and idols from the South Pacific. The people of the dark are led by the mysterious priestess, and all are clad in the familiar purple and yellow garb of Eclipso. The first scene unfolds in a Gotham City museum as Batman encounters the cult and instantly has suspicions about their connections. Ultimately, the cult fells Batman, absconding with him in an ancient tablet. A day later, we find the outsiders Brian, Geoforce, Markov, and Leah Looker-Briggs taking an audience with the Prime Minister of Diablo, Kenneth Tokelau, and his wife at the country's consulate in Los Angeles. Tokelau's wife, Adela, entertains Briggs. 
telling her about a stone idol adorning their residence and its historical significance, particularly as it relates to when our people were ruled by superstition and ignorance. Some of our older citizens still fear the ancient powers. Adele is not able to finish the thought as an explosion rocks the consulate. The people of the dark first stand in search of the idol, but are confronted by Geoforce and Looker. The pair of outsiders find themselves overwhelmed by the cult's dark light weapons, until reinforcements arrive in the form of Halo, Black Lightning, Katana, and Metamorpho. The entire Outsiders team finds himself outmatched by the shadow substance wielded by the priestess, and the cult ends up escaping with the stone idol. With the Outsiders, the Prime Minister of Diablo recounts his concerns about the island's superstitious practices and a cult leader he knew as a child, Mofir. He called his cult the people of the dark. Some of us did not believe in his powers, but none of us laughed. The Prime Minister tells the Outsiders that Bruce Gordon and Mona Bennett are currently conducting experiments on Diablo Island and ask for the team's help in finally putting an end to the cult. The Outsiders arrive on Diablo, but are rebuffed by Gordon, who does not want them interfering with his plot to finally be rid of Eclipso. The Outsiders come upon the cult and engage them in battle, but ends up getting captured and secured in the cult's temple, where they are reunited with Batman and Gordon, who had been apprehended in his lab. Gordon is promptly dragged off by several cult members and lashed to an altar. Under the cover of a solar eclipse, the priestess utilizes the stolen idols to conjure forth Eclipso. Bellows a reincarnated beast. It is good to be whole again. After all those months spent as dissipating energy. Eclipso is now a separate entity in full control of his own will. Thanks to the ancient power of the artifacts gathered by the people of the dark. The priestess bestows upon Eclipso additional dark gems that have been hidden away over time, and the villain uses them to reverse the solar eclipse, pulling the moon back over the sun, keeping the earth in total darkness. Notes writer Mike W. Barr, I tried to amplify the scope of Eclipso somewhat by giving him other gems through which he could conduct his powers, rather than just the black diamond he used in his origin. This didn't catch on. The tale concludes in Outsiders number 18 with Rage Rage Against the Dying of the Light. The total eclipse has triggered chaos across the globe in the form of tidal waves and massive weather disturbances. Meanwhile, the Outsiders have retreated, and Eclipso sends the people of the dark after them. They managed out with the cult and circle back to the bowels of the temple to free Dr. Gordon and Bennett. A lone cult member witnesses this and alerts Eclipso, who arrives and engages the Outsiders in battle. In the ultimate Who's Going to Blink First scenario, Batman grabs Bruce Gordon and presses a batarang into his throat, drawing blood. Leave Eclipso, or Bruce Gordon dies, challenges Batman. Still, Eclipso relents and returns to the temple, convinced that even the death of Bruce Gordon will soon no longer diminish his powers. Eclipso proclaims his intent to make the priestess his wife, but she reveals herself to not only be the daughter of Mofir, but the Prime Minister's wife, Adela Tukalau. Eclipso icily vaporizes her with a blast of his black diamond. Outside the temple, the Outsiders make short work of the remaining cult members and make their way to where Gordon's solar storage batteries reside. Eclipso, now at full strength thanks to the mystic idols and the Eclipse, senses Gordon's return and vows to finish him once and for all. Eclipso arrives, blasting through a wall. The team springs into action. Eclipso is weakened in the combat, but Bruce Gordon only knows one place to imprison him within himself. Bruce then turns to Mona and says he'll understand if she wants to leave him. Mona, undeterred, responds, Darling, I've never been prouder than you than I am now. We may never be free of Eclipso's curse, but we'll fight him together. Bar further reflects, It is thought, I believe correctly, that middle 60s DC characters like Eclipso and Metamorpho were created in an attempt to capitalize on the Marvel style of character who were more flawed than the typical DC hero. To that end, the ending of the story was, I hope, suitably tragic in keeping with the nature of the character. ones cannot hide from Ophir. Ah, our incompetent jailer. You have our gratitude. Keep it. Mofir prefers your head.
Excerpt from the 2009 blog post from I Am The Phantom Stranger by Rob Kelly. After over a decade of always being a guest in someone else's home, The Phantom Stranger starred in this four-issue miniseries. The first issue covered in October 1987. We see from a news broadcast that it seems that the world itself is falling apart, with a huge earthquake hitting Romania, the third such quake to hit in the last two weeks. The grim news is taken in by one Dr. Bruce Gordon, who seems to be suffering from some internal torment. He leaves his apartment out into the night, wondering if it will never end. We see, off the distance, a stranger is watching. We also see that earthquakes are not the only problem. Erupting volcanoes, tidal waves, avalanches, and other atmospheric troubles seem to be afflicting the planet all at the same time. As if that wasn't bad enough, political tensions between the U.S. and Russia are at an all-time high, leading to a fistfight on the floor of the U.N. Meanwhile, in Metropolis, reporter Jimmy Olsen smells a story. As if that wasn't enough, we see that some people are taking all these events as a sign. The leader of the Divine Light Temple tells his flock that it is they who will judge the rest of the world, the wicked. The Phantom Stranger steps in, declaring that their leader is evil and that he is here to save them. When the stranger reveals him to be like Kaon, chosen of chaos, he tries to convince the stranger to join his following, but the stranger is having none of it. The stranger battles a demon, one of the lords of darkness, and tries to stop these innocents from having their souls devoured. Finally, some of these seemingly random events begin to coalesce. In some dank dungeon, an imprisoned man is executed on the orders of Eclipso. Eclipso tells the stranger that, as the cosmos nears its end, the rules are changing, meaning that many of the stranger's powers are ineffectual against Eclipso's plot with the Lords of Darkness. Bruce Gordon's struggle with his alter ego Eclipso continues, but he is now being helped by the Phantom Stranger. The Phantom Stranger is able to keep Eclipso at bay to a certain point, but otherwise he is despondent over Eclipso and the Lords of Darkness's newfound abilities. He believes the side of good cannot win. Meanwhile, Icaon of the Temple of Divine Light continues his apocalyptic prophecies and tells his flock he will lead them into the light. Eclipso watches all this and laughs. We catch up with Eclipso, who, while frustrated the stranger has thwarted one of his plans to destroy the world, is sure the other two will work. One such plot leads the Phantom Stranger to the White House, where he battles a fake version of Ronald Reagan. Jimmy Olsen, Bruce Gordon, and the real president are kept out of the White House by two armed guards, who are actually demons under the control of Eclipso. The stranger manages to get the red phone away from the fake Reagan, before all the codes can be transferred. Reagan then loses it, grabbing a machine gun and blasting away. The stranger manages to grab him, teleporting them both outside, where the two Reagans start to fight. Finally, the stranger paces the fake Reagan one, leaving the demon exposed for what he is. The final chapter of the battle between the Phantom Stranger and Eclipso kicks off with the stranger, turning his attention toward the third part of Eclipso's evil plan. We learn what the third part consists of. Like Kaon, preaching peace, will convince all those listening to him via a televised concert to join together, making the world one for a brief moment, which will give Eclipso the opening he needs to open the portal between the world and the realm of magic. Then the Lords of Chaos will use all that energy to destroy the world once and for all. The Phantom Stranger heads to Stonehenge, where he encounters Eclipso. After some initial success, Eclipso gets the better of the Stranger and trusts him up. With the help of a magical remote control, he shows the Stranger how Lycoen's concert is going. Lycoen preaches self-reliance, blaming scientists and politicians for the world's troubles, and asking everyone within the sound of his voice to join hands and imagine the world as one. While this is what Eclipso wanted, there are other consequences. The Stranger is able to draw from the white magic practice at Stonehenge to free himself and make one last attempt to stop his plan. He and Eclipso are teleported to the concert, and all hell begins to break loose, literally. Bruce Gordon shows up and goes after his alter ego Eclipso, leaving the Stranger to go after Lycaon. At the same time, a demon emerges, and begins to devour the sun itself. Lycaon's focus is broken, giving the Stranger the chance to focus all the energy brought forth into himself. And I drank it in, and it was warmth and love. It was trust. The darkness! I will have my blessed darkness! It was light. Darkness! I have earned it, stranger! It is mine! Mine, I tell you! Light returned. Returned at last to the world. 
Both the Phantom Stranger and Eclipso disappear in a burst of white holy light. Bruce Gordon was grateful to finally be free of Eclipso, and even happier to learn that the Phantom Stranger had survived the experience as well. A great gopher-broke ending to the fine series. All the elements meet up, evil is defeated, and the Phantom Stranger now has a new purpose to his existence. Writer Paul Kupperberg delivers a wallop. The story's quality is matched by the moody and exciting art by Mike Pignola and P. Craig Russell, who were equally at home drawing magical demons as they were the clutter offices of Star Labs. I always thought Eclipso was a pretty goofy villain. That costume, even by superhero standards, is pretty giggle-inducing. But Kupperberg and Mignola managed to make him seem pretty fierce and imposing. This series was fun, full of adventure and humor, but managed to respect the character of the Phantom Stranger by using him effectively, as well as giving him a new platform from which to have new adventures. As much as I liked the series in 1987, I like it so much more now. Eclipso, I am Zatanna, and the forces of light stand against you. No matter who your allies are, you're getting back in that cage. Excerpt from Internal Correspondence Special Number 4, DC Comics 1992. This year's annual crossover event sees Eclipso reestablish himself as a major villain in the DC Universe, and his summer-long series spins off two ongoing monthly titles when it ends. In the tradition of last year's Armageddon 2001, which went through multiple reprintings, Eclipso, The Darkness Within Number 1 begins the storyline, which then runs through 18 other DC annuals before concluding with a huge battle in Eclipso, The Darkness Within Number 2. A four-part prelude story from Starman numbers 42 through 45 featuring Will Payton and Lobo is covered in as many installments on the Chris is on Infinite Earths blog and Chris and Ridgie's Cosmic Treadmill podcast. Hello and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode 42 where we go back, back to the to past and read a comic book from the yes year of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com and you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and by tuning your Black Diamond Shard. Mm. We are part of a uh, collective this week here, Chris. Why don't you tell them about it? Yeah, this is the, this is our first ever crossover. <laughs> we are a part of a, a group of uh, bloggers, podcasters, just uh, comic content creators online. When someone obtains one of Eclipso's black diamonds and then succumbs to rage, he falls under the power of the god of vengeance. Throughout the summer's annuals, different heroes must face the power of Eclipso, until a climactic battle on Eclipso's fortress on the moon pits the eclipsed heroes against the unaffected group. Like the bookend format of Armageddon 2001, the Eclipso annuals can be read separately, though the characters here interact with one another to form a long, cohesive megastory that runs throughout the summer. Eclipso begins his own ongoing monthly series as a result of the darkness within, and Worlds of Valor also starts its own regular series. Eclipso, The Darkness Within, sees Eclipso attain his place as the most powerful villain in the DC Universe. Powerful enough to challenge Earth's greatest superheroes, we learn that Eclipso is actually the god of vengeance, who has been banished to the dark side of the moon. Bruce Gordon, his one-time alter ego, discovers that everything he knows about Eclipso is a lie. When he learns how Eclipso has misled him, he becomes the villain's worst nemesis, playing Van Helsing to Eclipso's Dracula. The power of Eclipso is held within 1,000 black diamonds, 
originally a single large gem called the Heart of Darkness, which are scattered throughout the galaxy. Eclipso can control anyone who possesses a black diamond and succumbs to feelings of anger or revenge. In the first issue, Largand, who has not yet become known as Valor, stumbles across Eclipso's castle on the moon and is the first to do battle with Eclipso. When Eclipso finds that he can possess superhumans, he decides to plunge the Earth into total darkness and create a super armory to do his bidding. Since Eclipso can take people over when they succumb to rage or anger, the annuals that follow the first issue explore the dark side of the heroes through Eclipso, and someone in each of the annuals, which all take place at night, becomes Eclipse. The Eclipse heroes are all teleported to the moon in Eclipso, the darkness within number two, culminating in a huge final battle between the forces of good and the Eclipse heroes. While the good heroes must pull their punches to spare their manipulated comrades, Eclipso has no such restraints and is out for blood. In previous crossovers, the collected heroes have fought side by side for a specific cause. This time, they're fighting for their lives. For more on this comic, read the Chris's on Infinite Earths blog and listen to Professor Allen's comic book reading journal podcast number 24. And I'm going to help round out coverage with another episode and a guest taking a look at the series finale Eclipso, The Darkness Within, number two. So please check out uh, this show's blog, I'm the gun.blogspot.com. I'll put up links to that other Eclipso coverage. Eclipso is an established character in the DC Universe, but no prior knowledge of his history is necessary to appreciate today's stories. We will also discover in the stories that everything we think we know about Eclipso is what he wanted us to think. But those earlier stories are still a part of Eclipso's past and DC continuity. Not only will the events of Eclipso the Darkness Within and the Connected Annuals be heavily promoted by DC, the storyline will spin off Eclipso and Worlds of Valor as two new monthly books, making the Eclipso storyline one of the biggest comics events of the year. For more, see. For the non-discerning reader. The bookends are written by Giffen and Fleming, with art by Sears and Elliott. Last year's Armageddon 2001 crossover series was a tremendous success, with many connected titles going into second and even third printings. DC is expecting the Eclipso books, which are presented in the same manner, to be an even bigger success. Eclipso, The Darkness Within Annuals Highlights Superman, The Man of Steel Annual Number 1 Eclipso begins his evil plan by attacking all of the superheroes whose powers are derived from the sun, his only weakness, including Rampage, Starman, and Superman, using the Creeper as his pawn. In February 2014, a new podcast dedicated to the Marvel Comics character, Adam Warlock, debuted. And the internet broke in half. Well, not really. Far from it, to be honest. But a few of you actually noticed, and we thank you for that. Over the course of 2014, we covered all of Adam's Silver Age adventures, and have started on his Bronze Age solo series as well as his current appearance in two Thanos specials. But it's time for a change. So I'm sad to announce that episode 20 will be the last episode of Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast. However, I am pleased to announce that in 2015, we will premiere the first episode, which we will call episode 21 of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Yes, the show is continuing, but now with more Thanos. Each month we have John M. Wilson on as we cover an issue of Warlock, and the other episode of the month, we will continue to have Brian Zeno on to cover Thanos' appearances, starting with Captain Marvel 25. So join us in 2015 for Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, now with 20% more Thanos. We are going to be covering one of the Eclipso annuals, Superman the Man of Steel Annual 1. 
Green Lantern Annual number one. Eclipso decides to eclipse his way through several people until he gets to the now powerless Guy Gardner. Guy leads him to Carol Ferris, who once again becomes Star Sapphire, and Hal Jordan is forced into battle. For more on this comic, read Joe Crawford of the Tumblr for the non-discerning reader. Detective Comics Annual number six. There's chaos at Arkham Asylum, where Commissioner Gordon evokes an Eclipso to kill the Joker for shooting and maiming his daughter, Barbara, guest-starring Scarface. Superman Annual number four. Superman must do battle with an entire village that has fallen under Eclipso's control. For more, see. For the non-discerning reader. Justice League America Annual number six. Wonder Woman guest stars with the JLA to help unravel the mystery behind Eclipso's evil scheme, but they won't be able to stop him unless they first survive an Eclipso attack on a nuclear power plant. Several plot threads vital to the crossover series are introduced. The Demon Annual Number 1. An ancient warlock named Xavier Nihilo uses the magic of a black diamond to summon the Demon Etrigan into his presence, and he has a very unusual command. He doesn't wish Etrigan to serve him. He wants Etrigan to kill him. Green Arrow Annual Number 5. Batman and Green Arrow join forces to fight a longtime friend possessed by an Eclipso. For more, see Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal. Flash Annual Number 5. When the Golden Glider becomes bored towing the straight and narrow, she reunites the Flash's rogues gallery, including the Trickster and Weather Wizard, steal a rare black diamond tiara, and the Flash finds some unlikely allies to stop her. For more. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered Red Kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori the Morris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. Superman in Action Comics Annual Number 4. Superman returns to the village controlled by Eclipso, planning to sacrifice himself to save the inhabitants. His contingency plan involves the Justice League, who guest star in this crossover annual. For more, Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal. Hawkworld Annual Number 3. The threat of Eclipso looms over Hawkman and Hawkwoman when a mysterious package arrives for Shiera. For more, see. Al Sedano of Resurrections, the Adam Warlock Thanos podcast, plus a new feature at the Pop Culture Palace. Batman Annual Number 16. To battle an Eclipse foe, Batman is forced to make the ultimate sacrifice. See Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal. Deathstroke, the Terminator Annual Number 1. While recovering a stolen microchip, Deathstroke and Vigilante come face-to-face with Nightwing, but the sudden appearance of Eclipso sets the trio at each other's throats. New Titans Annual Number 3. The Titans spring into action to help Nightwing in his fight against Deathstroke and Vigilante. But when Eclipso's power is revealed, Nightwing finds he must fight alone. Legion Annual Number 3. Licensed Extra-Governmental Interstellar Operations Network has established a listing post on Earth, and when Vril Dox hears about the Eclipso incidents, he wants to get himself a piece of it. Losing control of the situation, he joins up with the Justice League as the story leads into the finale. For more, see...
Shana, the Jungle Queen. Hi there. Welcome to I'm the Gun podcast, recorded in conjunction with I'm the Gun blog. I'm Mark Sweeney. I started I'm the Gun as a kind of personal dare to myself. I'm a huge comics fan, at least a fan of the two major publishers of the last 50 years, DC and Marvel. While I live at DC, I'm very fond of several Marvel characters as well. And while I love some of the big properties both companies have, I've got a real special place in my heart for what I call the also-rans. I join with some like-minded comics bloggers and podcasters and taking a look at in its 25th anniversary year. The DC Comics crossover event Eclipso, The Darkness Within. Justice League Europe, annual number three. In one of the last books in the Eclipso summer crossover, the unaffected heroes prepare to head to the moon to do battle with the eclipsed heroes, with plenty of DC Universe guest stars. See Pop Culture Palace. Welcome to the Pop Culture Palace Presents Podcast, the official show for the Pop Culture Palace website. Each week on this feed, you will find an episode from a rotating group of shows, Al's Bronze Age Mystery Box, Irregularly Scheduled Programming, and Grown-Ass Geeks. But occasionally, we bring you Pop Culture Palace Presents, Episode 1, Best Event Ever, 2017. Wonder Woman Annual Number 3, Duncan Randolph, a man with tremendous power and wealth, surfaces in Boston for the first time in 30 years. Why now? He has an Eclipso Diamond and is determined to destroy Wonder Woman and take her place as Boston's resident hero. Now first, there are things that you must know about me. I have two different identities. You're not just Wonder Woman? No, I'm also Diana Prince, young United States Navy. It's a very necessary part of my plan. It allows me to be military intelligence where I can know immediately where I'm most needed. The Diana Prince Wonder Woman Podcast, available on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. Robin Annual Number One. When Black Diamond show up in Gotham, Robin has his hands full with both Eclipso and Anarchy. For more, see Chris Sheehan of the blog Chris is an Infinite Earths and co-host of the Cosmic Treadmill Podcast. Finally, Adventures of Superman Annual Number 4. Superman must organize a task force of heroes that confront Eclipso on the moon. Relatively geeky. We've also got coverage from Karen Williams of Between the Pages and The Retroist. Direct from the pages of Eclipso, The Darkness of Within, and most of the summer's annuals is Eclipso, a new ongoing series starring the God of Vengeance, a dark, frightening, supernatural book that will appeal to readers of both superheroes and Sandman. Co-writer Keith Giffen says his goal is to give 12-year-olds nightmares. The first issue gives a brief history of the character, who spent thousands of years exiled on the moon before escaping to Earth. One of his first activities in the monthly is to set himself up as a South American drug kingpin. A horror series set firmly in the DC Universe, Eclipso will include personal stories, tales of humans who have dealings with Eclipso. The God of Vengeance is opposed by his former alter ego turned nemesis Bruce Gordon who forms a team of Eclipso Busters, which includes Amanda Waller, late of Suicide Squad, to seek out and battle him with their solar-powered weapons. Eclipso is re-established as a classic DC villain on a par with Darkseid. Editor Michael Yuri says penciler Bart Sears is doing his finest work ever on the series, and it will be one of the nicest drawn books of 1992. Readers who have followed Eclipso since his first appearance in the old House of Secrets will find that Eclipso is deadlier, more vicious than they ever realized. And readers who are meeting the character for the first time will not need any prior knowledge of Eclipso's past history. We will also discover that everything we think we know about Eclipso is what he wanted us to think. 
For example, his previous vulnerability to camera flashbulb was just a ploy to keep his nemesis, Bruce Gordon, off base. This is a fresh, revitalized version of one of the most powerful characters in comics, spinning off of one of the hottest crossover events of the year. Ah, Zatanna, silence is golden. Someday my magic will silence you forever. But not now. Now I have my freedom. And eternal darkness awaits. Excerpt from Michael Yuri's 2017 book, Hero of Go-Go. I'd gotten over my fear of Eclipse in 1992 when, as a DC Comics editor, I co-developed a reimagining of the villain in the crossover Eclipse of the Darkest Within. On the first issue cover, we added a glued black plastic diamond over Eclipse's sinisterly squinting eye. The gimmick was clever at the time, but later hated when collectors realized the diamond made it tough to bag and board the issue without damaging the comic in front of it. And since then, Eclipso, like comic books themselves, has gotten darker and meaner. But for those of us who lived during the camp age, we'll think of Eclipso as the moon-faced menace who ducked when you turn on your front porch light. My heart is darkness! By the way, I only have Capital City Distribution's sales numbers, but it looks like Eclipso, The Darkness Within, underperformed against Armageddon 2001. The first issue of which sold 56,350 copies, and the second issue did 67,650. Through Capital City, The Darkness Within number one sold 54,800 copies, but you could also combine the 12,850 standard covers that didn't have the little Eclipso diamond, but the second issue only did 37,900 copies. This may have just been a case of diminishing returns though because the closing specials to the bloodlines event bloodbath only sold 28,850 and 27,550 copies respectively although the argument could also be made that 1993 was the year that the comic book speculation double burst so it may have just been the victim of that that isn't my theory though the darkness within was a pretty good book with really nice artwork and bloodbath wasn't you think you are of the light satana even you have a dark side! If Eclipse will ever cross my gaze before the early 90s, my memories won't acknowledge that today. Realistically, I probably saw him in passing in an issue of Green Lantern or Christ on Infinite Earths, but he was just another one of the legions of goofy Silver Age DC villains I had no time for in my youth. I started picking up order catalogs pretty much each month around 1991, so I probably saw solicitations for his appearances in Starman with the Mike Mignola covers. Starman was exactly the sort of DC comic I wanted nothing to do with then or now, but I fished one of those issues out of a discount bin after somewhat enjoying the first Darkest Within special. I hated it from front to back. I also at some point in that period bought an old issue from the House of Secrets run on the cheap, but I was not impressed with that either. I was, however, enough of a fan of the Eclipso event that I followed his entire often terrible 19-issue eponymous series, counting the Bloodlines Annual, plus I picked up a two-part coda in the Spectre. Frankly, that Eclipso series contains what I feel are some of the worst individual comics DC has produced in its near 80-year history. Despite this, I bought other random appearances through into the aughts, and even on the books by talent I didn't personally find too talented, I still had to deny the pang to buy more appearances I almost certainly wouldn't have enjoyed. Eclipso debuted over a year after The Incredible Hulk which admittedly was initially a failed concept in the short term, and both were fruit from Robert Louis Stevenson's already near-century-old tree. Still, co-creator Bob Haney was the most Marvel-like in style of DC's writers, and it's tough to shake the similarities between the two concepts published so close in time to one another. This was, after all, the inventor of the Bat-Hulk. Like the Hulk, I found the limitations on the premise of a man in constant conflict with his supernatural self fatiguing. And Eclipse was the worst of the two for bringing in few external complications to shake up the dynamic. 
I will say that the Mona Bennett of the time was much preferable to Betty Ross, since she was aware of her beau's issues and not only supportive emotionally, but actively contributed to mitigating his misadventures. The helpful Professor Simon Bennett is certainly more pleasant than Thunderbolt Ross, and those positive sports structures felt more like DC. Also, Eclipso favored schemes and his energy powers rather than brute force, so the adventures felt more like tic-tac-toe rather than the Hulk's air hockey. Your mileage may vary. On the other hand, aside from the examples of early Toth art, Eclipso could not compare visually to the Hulk. I personally think that Jack Sparling is overly criticized and like that he allowed the Bennett's to be more true to life in their body types than the athletes and anorexics that have dominated comics in the modern era. That said, I tried to finally read my Showcase Presents volume collecting the entire House of Secrets run in one edition for less than $10 in anticipation of this discussion, but gave up. The art was too flat overall, even the Toth material, and the scripts were Bob Haney at his least zany. The stories read like they were somebody's job to produce, repetitive, workmanlike, uninspired. So you might ask, if I didn't seem to like much about Eclipso beyond the darkness within event, why not just talk about that? Well, for starters, I respect the old school. Before the 1990s, it was extremely rare for a book to star an ongoing antagonist. I used to collect the most successful example of the villainous lead in comics up to that point, Tomb of Dracula, and I always appreciated those pioneering attempts to expand storytelling in the mainstream. By virtue of having their own devoted forum, these villains felt more fully realized and overall substantial than the common recurring hoodlum. By happenstance, Eclipso landed on a bunch of merchandising during the Batmania phenomenon like coloring books, puzzles, and playing cards that seemed to have burned Eclipso into the psyches of many a baby boomer turned comics pro. A pop music album titled Hero and Villain in One Man was even released in 2001 by a band calling themselves Eclipso featuring art and aesthetic from that period. Eclipso must have made some kind of an impression. By the nature of his powers, Eclipso has a versatility that allows him to be a credible threat for street-level vigilantes, cosmic guardians, on through to the entire horde of working heroes at the time of his big event. The original dark elf design of Eclipso is great fun, and I especially like his swirling yellow midsection. When Eclipso ditches old duds for a bare chest, trench coat, and silver-tipped boots, yes, he was leaning hard into the 90s, but he's still at the forefront of the chromium age and styling besides. Further, his revision gave him a complexion and facial features that were not specific to any particular ethnic group, but did give the impression that he was no longer a wasp like Bruce Gordon. Whether from another land or another plane of existence, Eclipso had set himself apart in a way that, if not quite the definition of good, could at least be framed as expanding a semblance of representation at DC. You cannot underestimate the novelty of a gimmick accessory. As I once pried the plastic black diamond off the cover of The Darkness Within Number 1 just to say I had one ready for use. I got a better one with a fantastically sculpted DC Direct Eclipso figure, who is positioned to be holding his scale diamond between his fingers up to his eye. Just as a beach towel can turn you into Superman, all you need is a piece of colored glass for the imagination to turn you into Eclipso. It's a groovy name to say, and I enjoyed the simplicity of his chest icon and the visual shorthand of a character's face being eclipsed by his cyan influence. As a fan of Martian Manhunter, I still feel like there should be a stronger connection between the former lead features of the House of Secrets and the House of Mystery that I root for. But that said, Eclipso has never been fully owned by any one hero, despite his long stay in the Green Lantern title. He's a truly DC Universe-spanning villain, as well as a setting-spanning one, since he can exist at basically any point in human existence and even cross the boundary from soft-pedaled, comic-code authority-approved kids' fare to something approaching vertigo levels of brutal, sophisticated horror. While I haven't read a lot of engaging Eclipso material, I have read some, and they demonstrate the potential in this villain. 
Bart Sears was at the peak of his powers while drawing the book. Having finally broken away from Keith Giffen's layouts on Justice League Europe to begin displaying a more ornate, design-oriented style that well portrayed the manipulations and menace of Eclipso. Several key issues, such as a Ted McKeever drawn two-parter set in Victorian England, and a single issue with Colleen Duran involving a game of one-upsmanship with Darkseid, demonstrated the scale and depths of Eclipso's demoniac dealings. Admittedly, once Eclipso focused primarily on possessing people, he lost a bit of his uniqueness. But he's also more fearsome in wielding that power than, say, a colossal cyclopean space starfish. I could go on and on about how much I appreciate Eclipso being a totally adulterated beast. A completely unsympathetic monster in a comics landscape littered with tiresome anti-heroes. Or about his thematic relevance, or some other such highfalutin business. But in all honesty, the main reason I like Eclipso is that he's a friggin' badass with a near incomparable body count. And that's more than enough to see him to the front of the line amongst the foremost fiends in the funny books. Last year, several of your favorite podcasts and blogs got together to cover one of the greatest comic events ever, DC's 1993 annual crossover, Bloodlines. But it wasn't enough for them to just cover your newest favorites, like Nightblade, Jam, and Shadowstrike. They wanted to do more. This year, they are. In celebration of its 25th anniversary, they will be covering DC's 1992 annual event, Eclipso, The Darkness Within. Join Coffee and Comics, DC Bloodlines, Between the Pages, Pop Culture Palace, Relatively Geeky, Cosmic Treadmill, For the Non-Discerning Reader, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Chris on Infinite Earths, The Retroist, Diana Prince Wonder Woman, and Omda Gun, and learn who gets possessed, who fights back, who will be canceled, who will die, and who will get their own spinoff. Keep up with the crossover using hashtag best event ever and hashtag Eclipso TDW25 all throughout June 2017. Beware the power of the Black Diamond. If you enjoyed the background music used in this episode, then those songs deserve a more full presentation. Uh, and you should honor the artists who created that music by paying for their songs, legal downloads. That music includes Eclipso by Tommy Flanagan, Eclipso by John Coltrane, Eclipse de Mar by Joaquin Sabina, Solar Flares by Robert Wyatt, Totally Eclipse of the Moon by Enigma, In the Beginning Darkness by Manfred Mann's Earth Band, Black Diamond by Kiss, Solar Confinement by Bruce Dickinson and Skunkworks, El Lago the Lake by Mago de Oz, and finally Shadow in the Sun by Audio Slave. And rest in peace, Chris Cornell. We received social media attention from the 108th Sage, Alex Martin, Dr. Ange, Badit Shapirak, Between the Pages, Bill Bear, Buddy Wuddy, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Columbus Comics Corner, Comics in the Golden Age, Cash Flag, a.k.a. Al, Chris Sheehan, Chris Thompson, Comic Reflections, Darren Ruth Sutherland, Ed Moore Jr. at Indie Comics Fan, Miss Katonic and Teal Productions, Inigo Montoya, FKA Jason, Gaston Pujol, Glenn Walker, Goat Boy, It's Plastic Man, Jeffrey Brown, Joe Crawford, Justice First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun Podcast, Long Box Crusade, Martin Gray, Matches Baloney, Michael Bailey, Nethead, Outdoor Serve Prep, Prep Survivalist, Reggie Reggie, Richard Field, Ryan Daly, Sean Merrick, Sean Phillips, Siskoid, Until We Go There, Willie Yarbrough, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. 
Justice for Stolen Rights. Goldspine covers the Lord's work with more Bloodlines conversation. I don't know if the Lord would want to be associated with the Bloodlines crossover. Just putting that out there. Coffee Comics blog, aka podcast, sorry, on Ballistic Sword of Azrael. Oh goodness, I had that pog. Cisco wrote the same episode. I quit my job, but I'm not done until the end of this month. So I should be working, but I'm leaving comments on your podcast. Ballistic? Nope, don't remember him. A common theme. But I do remember the annuals had the new Batman without his identity yet revealed. Just a quirk of the schedule, I guess. Finally, Dr. Ange wrote, I don't know squat about ballistic, but Azrael, I know a bit more. I quite enjoyed the Sword of Azrael miniseries. I think the inclusion of a medieval theme and different orders of knights jived with me, and I love the design of Azrael's costume. I'm not a big Batman fan overall, so I skipped the entire Knight's End, Night Quest, as Bats era. But when a solo Azrael book came out, I was on board. Back to the original costume, back to the St. Dumas stuff, plus Barry Kitson art. John kept trying to move beyond his role as a tool for Dumas, trying to overcome his conditioning and improve himself. It seemed like a nice journey for a hero to be on. I thought it was a decent book. However, at some point, all that stuff disappeared and he became an agent of the Bat. His cool costume became a lackluster, standard hero one, and he was just consumed by the Bat books. I dropped it shortly thereafter. Still, the base concept is enough that I will try it if I see it, such as the Azrael Death's Dark Knight mini from a few years ago. The preceding DC Comics-related program is a non-profit fan production. Any copyrighted materials therein are believed covered under fair use, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please leave your comments on the DC Bloodlines blog, the Roll Spine Podcast's WordPress page, via email at emailofdiabalu at yahoo.com, or you can tweet the host directly on the Twitters at Commander Blanks, spelled with an X. You can also talk to the whole Rolled Spine gang on the Twitters at Rolled Spine. We hope you enjoyed our little program, and remember, spill the blood! Blood!